All right. <clears throat> Advent Sunday. This is the Joy Sunday. <gasps> it's exciting. Uh, wasn't Faith Sunday last week fun with John Mark Baker? So good. So good. And I know a bunch of people got healed in the house, and we want to hear your testimony. So where's Amber? Oh, she'd probably do a nursery. Okay. We're going to have another designate. So here's Alan. Alan's going to raise his hand. So if you have a testimony, we want to hear about it. How many of you know testimony is important to share? Testimony is prophetic. It is prophetic because you hear what God did for somebody else and you realize, man, he could do this for me. It might be a whole different thing, but we all come in the house of needs. And when we hear that God's working there, we can receive that as like, Father, I believe you're good. And you're working in my life. So we want to hear your testimonies. All right. Couple highlights. Um, the kids did a lock in this weekend. I don't have pictures yet, but that was super fun. Here's the, the youth Christmas party. Thank you, Lucas and Sabrina, for so faithfully serving us in that way. Youth Christmas party. And then the leaders had their annual Christmas dinner at my house, um, which was super fun. I think there's two pictures there, maybe. Yeah, not very good ones. Should have put the, the flash on. But seriously, in this room, I'm constantly amazed. How did all these amazing people end up in one room? I mean, aren't you just constantly amazed? You look around and you think, this one and that, like, that one's awesome, but that one is too. Like, I look around this room and think, how did all these awesome people, seriously, end up in one room? It shocks me all the time. I feel like we get to drink from this pure water all the time. You know what I mean? Like with the worship, what they bring, it's like so awesome. Um, I mean, every single area of the church, I just feel like, man, people are just performing at these really high levels, and it's just this little tiny engine that could. So anyway, but we're inviting people into it. But anyway, I want to thank you guys. Um, I know there's a couple more Christmas things coming up. Ladies Ornament Exchange. The ladies. This is a pretty fierce thing, I understand. <laughs> the Ornament Exchange. So lots of fun holiday stuff going on. All right. So Advent joy. First week of Advent is hope. Second week is faith. Third week is joy. Um, we're going to start in Nehemiah chapter 8. You didn't expect that, did you? Okay. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 8. There are Bibles out on the rows. So if you need a Bible, you can. In the Pew Bible, it is page 293. 293 if you're using the Pew Bible. Um, and if you don't have a Bible at home, take it. Take that Bible with you. We want you to have a Bible in your hands. Um, we started putting the Bibles out again this week because I thought, you know what? We just need to open it more. We just need to open it more. Now, some of you have it on your phone. That's cool. We're going to give you a pass. But it's good for us to open it more. The more we get familiar with the Bible, the more likely we are to open it on our own and feel less intimidated. I know for some of you who are new to the faith, it feels intimidating. All these different books, and where do you find stuff? And So let's keep opening it together. Yeah? Page 293 in the Pew Bible, if you want to read along. Where it has the list of names, we're just going to say Levites. Okay, here we go. Nehemiah 8. Starting in verse 1. All the people assembled with united purpose at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So on October 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. 
He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. So what's happening here? This is the Old Testament. This was before Jesus. Um, in the book of Nehemiah, what's happened is um, Israel, God has blessed them, and when they would prosper, they would forget God, that the good things in their life really came from God, and they would do super stupid things. And then, of course, they were outside of blessing. People would come and conquer them. Bad things would happen. And when bad things would happen, they'd be like, oh, my goodness, we need God. And they'd remember God. As they remembered God, guess what? Blessing came back because they began to do things God's way, and God's way brings blessing. And, and so they'd be blessed. And then when they were blessed, they'd forget God, and they'd go back in these cycles. Well, they're in a cycle of they've forgotten God, and it got bad this time. And so people came and conquered them, and many of them were sent to the far corners of the earth um, in this diaspora, right? So the Jews are all over the earth right now. And Nehemiah is serving the greatest king of the earth at that time, Artaxerxes. And he says to him, listen, I keep hearing news from Jerusalem that the walls are completely destroyed and there's no defense. And so people are, you know, it's this really terrible time. And my people have no refuge, even to begin to rebuild society, which would benefit you, King Artaxerxes, if things were working and commerce was working and all this kind of stuff. And so um, the king says, you know what, Nehemiah, I'm going to let you go and help to rebuild a wall <clears throat> so that they can have a city. Because you can't, how many of you know, um, there's a reason for walls and doors, Right? You need to have some. We have keys to our car for a reason. It's not like, hey, here's a car. I need to go somewhere, right? This car belongs to someone. They have a key. And they lock the door because, right, they've had to do certain things to, to get this car. I didn't do any of those things, and so I don't have the car. I can't just take the car. And when people do just take your car, you are not filled with joy. <laughs> right? So imagine Jerusalem, there's no walls. So people can come in and just pillage. There's no, there's no defenses for the city. They're in a bad way. So Nehemiah has this heart to go back. He's a Jew who's serving the king, but he has a heart to go back to his homeland and to rebuild a wall. Jerusalem is the center of Israel. It's the center of God's heart in Israel. And so he wants to see the city fortified so they can begin to rebuild something of a culture that remembers who the true God is and worships him. So this is really heavy in his heart. The chances that, now, the king says, you, but you've got to come back. I'll give you this much time, but you've got to come back because he's a really trusted advisor. So this is a guy who's like at the highest levels of, he's attained the highest levels you can attain, right? He's working at the highest levels of government for the most powerful government in the world, and he says, I'm going to go back to this backwater country that's completely destroyed and I want to help rebuild a wall in a city. How many of you know to the world that does not look like a step up? Right? But he feels so keenly that God has put this on his heart. Um, and so he goes and he does it. Well, he gets there, and when he gets to Jerusalem, the people are like, oh, Nehemiah, thank God. Every single one is like, what can we do? Whatever we can do, we want to do. 
Wah, wah, wah. Unfortunately, this is not what happens. There's all kinds of opposition. The people are downtrodden. He can hardly rally them to do any. They're just, you know, they've decided this is what life is like. And so we're just going to live this way. How many of you know that person? Right? They've gotten beat down. They're, this is, I'm just trying to make it to the end. I'm trying not to exit early. Right? This is where the people are. And beyond that, that he's got some political people who come and oppose him, some Jews who oppose him, but also those who aren't Jews. There's all kinds of opposition coming to this guy, and as they're trying to rebuild the wall, they're also getting attacked, right? And the people are like, we were better off before we, before we had, what they really mean is hope, before you came and told us we should do this, we were better off. But what they're saying is, you taught us how to hope, and now we're not sure that hope's going to get accomplished, so you just should have left me Hopeless. Sad times for Nehemiah. He has Ezra with him, who's a Levite, who's helping in the spiritual sense of helping to guide the country. So in Nehemiah 8, they're actually more than midway through, and they're starting to feel like, hey, this is going to happen. And God just kept giving Nehemiah specific instructions. There's one point where he says to them, listen, um, some are going to carry swords and some are going to build. So if you see some, so if this person's building on this day, this one's standing behind him with a sword. While this one builds, this one protects. That'll preach, right? <laughs> you see Lucas and Sabrina and the youth team working with the youth. I'm like, I'm glad they're doing that work. Awesome. We also, we need to be carrying the swords and praying, right? This is a crucial time in people's lives, right? We need to be praying for that work they're doing. When you see someone with their hand at the plow, pray over that work they're doing. Partner with them if you can, right? There's this, this definite sense of, so God's giving him all this really specific instruction of how to complete this well because God wants this city secured as well. And he gives him really specific instruction about how to outfox the foxes, right, who are coming at him. Just all through it, God gives him, he has called him to this mission, so he's going to give him instruction on how to do it. Instruction from his word, but also he needs specific instruction for the situation, that's actually crucially important. So when we come to this point, he's gathered all the people. They have a, they, they're, they're getting there. They've gathered all the people, and now Ezra is reading from the book of the law. Well, what have they not been doing during their time of rebellion and then their time of, like, deep depression? They have not been getting out the word and saying, God, guide us, because he would have been guiding them to a different place than they were at right then, Right? So now the book of the law is coming out. Verse 4, Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform that had been made for the occasion. To his right stood the Levites. Ezra stood on the platform in full view of all the people. When they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen, Amen, as they lifted their hands. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites then instructed the people in the law while everyone remained in their places. They read the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people to understand each passage. This happened from daybreak until noon. People are standing and absorbing this word, and it's so foreign to them that the priests and the Levites are actually in each section explaining it as they're going. 
And that's what this means, and that's who that was, and right? So people could actually absorb it. <clears throat> the Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah continued, Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks, and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now we know why we're in Nehemiah chapter 8. Here we go. And the Levites, too, quieted the people, telling them, Hush, don't weep, for this is a sacred day. So the people went away to eat and drink at a festival meal, to share gifts of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they had heard God's words and understood them. Yay! Right? Because they're explaining them, and then some of the people don't speak the same language. They've been away for, genera- right? for generations, And so each person there hears the word of the Lord spoken and can understand them. Someone's making them understandable to them. And so their initial response to the word of the Lord is weeping. How many of you have been there? The word of the Lord, I mean, it's so much truth sometimes you can hardly take it. And sometimes it's because it's putting a mirror up to you and you're like, oh man, right? God is so good and here I am and... Do you ever feel that sense sometimes? That revelation of God is like, oh, it's like Isaiah, who's the super righteous dude, right? The angel of the Lord comes to him, and he says, oh, holy, 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 I, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. This super righteous dude in this generation, when the presence of God comes into the room, and he's like, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is full of your glory. I couldn't see it, but now I'm, right? There's this revelation. I'm seeing this in such a fright. I knew it, but now my, I know it, right? And I'm so aware uh, that I am not you, that I am not where you're at. And so sometimes the weeping is that. How many of you have had that experience where you're like, man, God, you're just so good, and I, I just feel, I, I feel the distance, Right? Sometimes that's the weeping. But sometimes just the revelation of, man, we are so bombarded with so many messages of what's true, but the presence of God comes into a room and he is truth. Oh, and sometimes your heart just aches at it a little bit, right? This is where they're at. Nehemiah is like, this is a time of rejoicing because clearly the people are receiving the word of God. They're happy to be hearing it and understanding it. This is a generation who will receive it and receive him, right? Okay, so we're going to take that picture of Nehemiah, who has this impossible task, right, and has to hear God for every single step of it if he's going to finish it because all these things are coming against him and people are coming back to the word of the Lord. Okay, so we don't have a ton of time because we have baptisms today, which is super exciting. So... With that picture of Nehemiah in the background, and this idea that the joy of the Lord is our strength, they had this impossible task. How are they going to do it? Well, the primary source is going to be joy. That's where the strength is going to come from. 
You think of the most impossible things in your life, the things that you're like, man, God, I'm praying for it, but it seems impossible. Where's the strength going to come from for that? From your anxiety and fear and worry? The strength to see it through is going to come from where? The joy of the Lord. So let's talk about joy for just a second. First of all, grief and pain, grief will clarify joy in our life like nothing else. Joy is not the absence of sadness. Joy, the opposite of joy is, joy is not the absence of sadness. That is not what it is. Because sometimes you experience the most joy, the most buoyancy in your times of greatest grief. Have you found that to be true? Like, man, on one side, I am sad. But what is this? <laughs> what is this buoyancy in this sadness? Our modern culture tries to pretty things up, especially at Christmas time, right? Like, if everyone in the world just held hands and drank a Coke, <laughs> that would solve everything. All the arguments and wars aren't really about anything. We're all the same. Let your humanity come out. Listen, our humanity coming out is why there are wars <laughs> and arguments. Whatever good we do, redeemed or unredeemed, whatever good we do comes from the fact that we're made in the image of God. Whatever good we do is a reflection of his image whether it's marred still in us or the redeemed image bearers, that's where the goodness comes from. Not from our humanity and drinking a Coke. <laughs> our modern culture tries to pretty it up. But Christians know better. We know better. In fact, I like some of the earlier philosophers in the last century. I like a whole lot more than the modern ones. The newer kids in the block. Some of the early nihilists. I mean, I don't enjoy them, but I do enjoy them a little. I enjoy, like, Huxley. I enjoy Camus, actually, quite a bit. Bertrand Russell's an idiot, but I still find some truth in it. Why? Because they were like, this world's a mess. This world is only pain, right? This is, and, and don't get out from under it. Stay under it and feel it, right? That's where they're at. And honestly, that's closer to the truth. The modern world, things aren't that bad. If we could just hum a bit together. Every cloud has a silver lining. Not in a fallen world. Lots of clouds don't have any silver lining. People are capable of incredible evil. People are capable of inflicting incredible pain. Christianity is far more realistic than any non-Christian philosophers currently, and past. Christianity never says things like, oh, things aren't so bad. Christianity says things are just as bad and maybe worse than the most pessimistic analyst says they are. And that's why Jesus. Because we've broken this thing good. <laughs> we broke it bad. <laughs> But Jesus, do you have that picture of Mary and Eve? This is my favorite Christmas image. I don't know if you guys have seen this Christmas image. It's a picture of Eve being comforted by Mary, a Mary pregnant with Jesus. 
don't know if you see the, the, the snake that is ensnared Eve is being stomped on by Mary. And there's this comfort. Man, that's the story of Christianity. This world is as bad as you think it is. <laughs> but Jesus comes. And he redeems what seems, oh, no, we don't have any time. We're baptism day. He redeems what seems irredeemable. On your worst day, his cross is stronger still. And his blood speaks a better word. And he didn't just save us from hell, like stay in misery until you get to heaven. He didn't know He says, I'm coming to make all things new, and I'm making you a partner in it. So when you see pain, you don't just say, well, yeah, that's what we did to the world. When you see pain, you say, there's another kingdom. Yes, that kingdom is as bad as you think, but there is another kingdom. This is why his message was, I brought my kingdom with me. Repent, turn from this way of thinking, turn from this way of doing, and enter into my kingdom. That's why Christmas isn't some sentimental journey with Santa with a Coke bottle in his hand. Christmas is like, oh my goodness. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining till he appeared. And finally the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And at the reality of that, we do what? Just like the people in Nehemiah, we fall to our knees. So good. So good. And this is why, in so many ways, grief and pain clarify joy. Because it's the grief that makes you go back to your source. It's grief that makes you reassess your resources It makes you go to your roots as a Christian. It makes you go to the gospel. It makes you look at what Jesus has done and that's where you find the joy. How many of you say, can think of a day or a week or a season where you were just rattled to your core? Rattled to your core. What did it make you do? you're either going to run toward destruction and bury yourself in numbing reality. Or, or what do you do? You go to your roots. What can I depend on? What's stable here? All the earth seems to be, who's stable? What's stable? What do I reach for? Isn't that what you do? And when you're a believer, what you find in that reaching is Jesus. And you realize he was far more stable than you ever knew. He was far stronger than you ever knew. He was closer than you ever knew. That's what grief does. It drives us to the joy that we find in Christ. And why is it joy? Because the grief kicked on joy like you kick on a furnace. You are falling and you got caught and you find yourself buoyant. How am I not sinking? You're being carried by joy. Joy is a spiritual buoyancy that comes when you're rejoicing in God. 
Joy is the spiritual buoyancy that comes when you are rejoicing in God. And when you hit difficulty, grief, and pain, and you go back to your roots, you go back to the gospel, you go back to the most stable thing you have, which is Jesus, what happens? Oh, you discover joy because you realize what I really have is Jesus. He's the only actual source. (laughs) Every person you know, no matter how stable they are, is going to die. Every dollar you have can disappear just like Venezuela. What you have is Jesus. That's your real source for all of it. For everything you need. In this joy we find security and a word we don't use much anymore, mirth. (laughs) There's a mirth. How many of you have found sometimes, even when you're grieving, you find, you start, you're laughing sometimes, and you're, like, you're, there's a mirth under it. Because you're experiencing things, you're thinking, this is really bad. And even in this situation, there's joy. So what can the enemy do to me? (laughs) Maybe it's really true that nothing on earth, no height, nor depth, nor things future, nor things past. Maybe nothing really can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And I'm looking at it in the face. That's security. That's mirth. You realize I've got the only thing down deep that really matters. C.S. Lewis, he famously used the sun uh, in this way. He said, you know, most people... They look around, they can see, because the sun's sunbeams are illuminating the world around you. And so you see the world around you, but a Christian has allowed their eye to travel up the sunbeam to the sun. I'm not just appreciating what the sun's illuminating, I'm appreciating the sun himself. Gratitude exclaims very properly, how good of God to give me this. But worship and adoration says, what must be the quality of the being whose far off and momentary thoughts are like this? Right? Gratitude says, thank you, God, for this. But the adoration that comes with seeing him for who he is says, what is the person like who made this? This great gift, what does this tell me about him? Like, if he could make this, what is he like? We have a newly married couple in the house. Marriage is good. Marriage is a good thing. Not everyone needs to get married. Not everyone's called to get married. But let me tell you what. It's a good thing that our culture doesn't celebrate as it should. And um, how many of you, if, for those of you who, who are married or have been married, um, Well, some of you might have bad stories to tell from your first few weeks, but generally speaking, I can remember um, the day after we got married, we're sitting in the airport, we're going to fly to the Virgin Islands. I just remember thinking like, this guy's with me like till the end. (laughs) This date is never going to end. I just remember feeling so overwhelmed, like really just emotional and not wanting to tell him why, because it seemed like really, we're in an airport. It just seemed really stupid. But I would, just that sense of like, 
This is so good. Like this covenant we just made is so good. And it made me just so grateful to God. Like if this is so good and you made this covenant, what does this say about you? So good. Joy. Spiritual buoyancy that comes when we rejoice in God. The real wonderful moments of joy in this world are not the moments of self-satisfaction, but self-forgetfulness. Standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon, this is, I'm reading from Tim Keller right now, standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and contemplating your own greatness is pathological. (laughs) At such moments, we are made for magnificent joy that comes from outside of ourselves. Can you imagine? Staying on the edge of the Grand Canyon. I'm pretty amazing. Like, <laughs> whatevs. The awe you feel is not in yourself when you stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon, right? Real moments of joy aren't when we're completely self-consumed, right? Real moments of joy are we've seen a reflection of him. We've seen him in a way we haven't seen him before. We've, we've drank deep of his presence and it's good. And that's why pain and grief often provides those moments. But aren't you glad you don't have to go through pain and grief to have joy? And you don't have to go through pain and grief to have those moments. Um, With the time we have left, let me just say this. There's a lot we could say about entering into his joy. But I want to say this one thing. I just feel it strongly for us. Surrendering control is what makes way for unabated joy. You don't have to wait for your next grief your next sadness. Surrendering control to him is what makes way for joy. Because guess what? Every situation that I try to control and dominate and it's going to be my way, I'm right, right? I'm the focus of it. Everything I can say, Father, what do you want? What are you doing? What do you want to speak about that? All of those become encounters with him that give me joy. Proverbs 3, 5 through 10 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing in your body and strength in your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barn to the grain, and your vats will overflow with good wine. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. He will show you the path to go. Mitch and I are in this season of just learning, like, how much he wants to speak to us about every single thing. Like, we feel like we're pretty competent people, so we're like, we know scripture, we have wisdom, and we make what we think are righteous decisions. And we're realizing how many of those decisions we never asked him about. In Nehemiah, Nehemiah had to trust in God to give him direction for every single thing. Nehemiah was a smart guy. He could have come up with some smart, righteous solutions, but they may not have been God's solutions. We're just, we're just in this season where we're constantly amazed, like, you know, do we even pray about that? Do we even talk to God about that? Like, we didn't make an evil decision. We made it with a righteous decision, but we never even asked him. 
How many of you are like, you become aware that you're like, what are we doing? Like big stuff maybe. Um, <clears throat> we just think, well, this is what we're doing and this is what comes next. And we live for like 70, 80, 90 years. Life is a vapor. He is the everlasting God. He might know more than I know. No man can see all ends, but he's already seen everything that's going to happen. Why wouldn't we ask him? I'll tell, I'll tell a story on us, just to give you guys some mirth <clears throat> and some encouragement. So we have our house for sale, which we really feel like, yeah, we really feel like we should. It's like we need to do that. Anyway, um, so we got an offer, and we were like, uh, whatever. None of us, neither of us felt super comfortable in the timing and whatever, but we thought, okay, this is what we're doing. We never asked God about it, even though we both had some discomfort, not a lot, but some discomfort. Um, anyway, we never asked God about it. The minute we signed that silly offer, the minute we did, we were like, oh, we shouldn't have done that. We shouldn't have done that. And there are a couple of things that God was showing us, and we were like, well, we've, but we've done it, and your yes is yes, and your no is no, right? That's how it has to be. And people put work into it and stuff, and, and um, at this point, you can't go back without it costing you money, too. You know, I mean, for a lot of reasons, we're like, well, this is what we're doing. Um, but both of us were like, why didn't we pray about that? Why didn't we ask God about that? Neither of us felt comfortable. Anyway, just more revelations for us all the time. Anyway. So we were like, well, your yes is yes, your no is no. So we're not going to go back on what we said we would do. Um, but we were like, God, if there's any way, if there's any way, we were thinking there's no way because it's going to appraise for the number that needs to appraise for. And mechanically, it's a fairly new house. Everything's working. We know everything's working really well. We were like, what could happen? Right? But you know, we're going to trust you. <laughs> well... Some of you may know, we had a big party at our house this week. <laughs> big Christmas party. Big sit-down dinner for all the leaders. <clears throat> so leading up to that, um, I didn't do a lot of housework, except for the part that people were going to see. <laughs> and the day after that, our house was a complete disaster. Complete. Totally complete disaster. And everyone was so stressed out. And whatever, just, you know, just what days leading up to it, and then everyone was up late. So I'm like, you know what, kids, just stay home. The kids will just stay home from school. I'm sorry, every teacher's cringing, like, what? Yeah, we do it sometimes. <laughs> just stay home. And no one had laundry. So I was like, okay, the kitchen's a mess, the living room's a mess, there's still tables and chairs everywhere. Um, <clears throat> we hadn't let the dogs in the yard because for selling the house, we took the fence out. So they had just been doing their business on the deck. And we didn't even clean it for the party because I'm like, they're getting here after it's dark. No one's going to see it. We don't have time. <laughs> we have two dogs and a small deck. And one of them's a Bernese mountain dog. <laughs> he makes his presence known in every way. <laughs> so on this day, there's a mountain of laundry on my bed. I don't think all my children were fully clothed. Um, my husband's like, hey, there's a mechanical inspection. This guy's coming. And I was like, well, that's embarrassing that this mechanical guy is going to, who's checking our air conditioner and checking our whatever, is going to see the house this way. But, I mean, at this point, it is what it is. Maybe my children can get dressed in time. I don't know. 
Like there's piles of pots. Like we're on like the fifth dishwasher cycle. You know what I'm saying? And I chose laundry over hand washing. So it's bad. I can't communicate how bad it was. It was bad. <clears throat> so the guy for the mechanical inspection comes to the door and he's not alone. No, it gets really bad. He's not alone. He has the buyer. The buyer's girlfriend. The buyer's parents. <laughs> A decorator. And two more real estate agents. <laughs> and I... Luke went to go into the door. And I saw these people. And I was like, Jesus, you know. <laughs> Jesus, you know. I mean, if you were trying to sabotage a deal, you literally could not have done worse. <laughs> Several times, so I just stayed in my bedroom folding clothes with the door open if they had questions, whatever. The kids are all three playing the gates. So we're all up here huddled. <laughs> and the whole time, just that feeling of like, oh man, this is so bad. This is so bad. This is so bad. And several times I heard that sliding door open that goes out. <laughs> and then small shrieks. <laughs> it was so bad. It was so bad. <laughs> oh, it was so bad. So I left and I was like, see ya. <laughs> God bless. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. <laughs> like, if you said, what's the worst possible day in the course of this year, I could come over and visit you, I would say, the day after the leader's dinner <laughs> would be that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I was like, well, babe... <laughs> It, you know, our heart was for a yes to be yes, or not to be no, but um, Jesus knows. <laughs> so the next day, we get, a, we get a little email that says, hey, there's some concerns. <laughs> so bad. So we read it, and we were like, this guy totally wants out. <laughs> This guy totally wants out. Anyway, I'm just saying, God knows, like, just the day before that, we were like, man, we're not feeling good about this one. But we're going to be, you're right, we're, our yes is going to be yes, our no is going to be no. And I'm just saying, um, after yesterday, we were like, or the day, the day we got the facts, we were like, Jesus, you know, like, we don't want to mess anybody up, but you know, he shuts doors. <laughs> <laughs> no man can shut. <laughs> he opens doors. No man can open. I'm just telling you. And it was like I'm over repentance. Like, we have learned our lesson. We need to ask you. Like, we need to talk to you. There's things that we feel like we know the righteous things, and we know. How do you know what I'm talking about? And honestly, we're so full of joy. We're like, God, you... You really can do anything. And you, 
like you can see where we make mistakes and you teach us like a good father does and you lead us, right? I mean, he's just good. How many of you have had him redeem some of your mistakes? Not just forgive you, but redeem it. Well, you're like, I don't know how you made this out of that, but you did. You really are working all things together for good. For those who love you. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. His plans are better. He can do infinitely more than we can even ask or think. What we do is we invite God into our plan. God, I'm lonely, therefore I need a boyfriend. God, I need a better job. Like we already have ideas of how our problems are going to get solved, and we invite him into those. That's not what he's asking for. He's asking for us to surrender control and say, will you ask me what my plan is? Will you ask me how to join me in the plans I've made for your life? Steps I've already ordered for you. God doesn't have control issues. Being able to live and say, not that you don't need to work hard, and not that you don't need to try, I'm not saying that, but knowing like, God, you're in this. We don't have to make something happen. There's people you love who need Jesus. You don't have to make it happen. Reflect his glory. Do what he's doing. Say what he's saying. You can't make it happen. And just the lightness you can live in and the joy you can live in when you realize, God, you orchestrate all things. I can trust you. I need to partner with you. We're not passive. I need to partner with you. But man, you've got a plan that's better than I could ask or think. What am I doing staying in control? God doesn't have these control issues. He gives Adam and Eve choices. They could choose to reject him. He comes to Cain when he's going to murder his brother and says, Cain, sin's crouching at your door. You have to overcome it. And then he lets Cain make his own choice doesn't he? Cain doesn't choose well. Something I've been thinking about, I think I might have mentioned it here, but I just had a thought a couple months ago, and I've just been turning it over my head, but the idea that we are image bearers of God, we're made in his image. After the fall, after Adam and Eve screwed up, after the world was thrown into this cursed state, God still allows Adam and Eve, to have children that his heart is intimately connected to because they're made in his image. We bear his image bearers. And people who'd already screwed up, and now the world has fallen, he doesn't say, you know what, I had a plan for kids, we're done with that. <laughs> he allows fallen people, even unredeemed, to carry his image bearers and raise them I don't know. Could you do that? I couldn't. I couldn't. Think about the degree to which he's willing to invest us with trust. He's willing not to withdraw from us. I don't know. That makes my head spin a little bit. Think of the first century church. 
So many of those churches in the first century, in cities where Paul had to leave within the week because they were going to stone him. They were running out of town. But they established a church there. What did that look like? Well, it looked like Paul saying, hey, guy on day one who got saved, you're the pastor now. (laughs) And you three on day two who got saved, you're the elders. It's been a week. We're leaving. How much did they have to trust the Holy Spirit? Now, they've got to correct some things that go wrong and what have you, but think about that. Think about how much control we want to exert over God and his things and his gifts when he's like, just let it loose. Let, trust me. Trust me. I don't know. He's good. The entire first world, known world, gets turned upside down to Christianity, and they couldn't control much. They were being pushed out through persecution. I mean, think about that. God was able to accomplish it. We look at Nehemiah. We look at those people. They have an impossible task. They have incredible odds. Worship team, if you would come. They have incredible odds they're encountering. And yet what happens? God comes, draws them by his presence, gives them a specific direction. Some of you in this room, you're facing situations where God has to show up. Some of you aren't facing painful and grief-stricken situations, but God's kindling hope in you about certain things. You're beginning to hope for more, and God's got to show up. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Surrender control to him. Surrender to him. Begin to say, Father, what is your way in this? What are you speaking in this? What's your wisdom in this? I'm not going to lean just to human understanding. I'm not just going to lean to my own understanding. I want a word from you because my life is short. I don't want to waste any time. What is he speaking? What is he saying? What are the things that you're white-knuckling right now that he's saying you can't white-knuckle anything? You've got to surrender control to me. You've got to believe I'm in it. Would you stand? That's where joy is found. Believing him. That's where we come to hope, believing him. That's where we come to joy, believing him. That's where we come to faith, believing him. What is he calling you to believe him about? There's people who can pray with you. They'll be on each side here and then back in the alcove. There's folks that can pray with you. Especially in this room, if you're like, I'm far from God and I need him. Come and pray with one of these folks. That's the ultimate surrender of control. Amen. But let's take some time. Before we come to baptism, let's take some time and do some work with the Lord.
Oh, we praise you, God. Come on. 
For those getting baptized, you go ahead and come on up front. What an exciting day. for the church um, we get baptized for two reasons one Jesus commanded it go make disciples baptizing them in the, name of the Father the Son the Holy Spirit we're baptized in the Father the Son the Holy Spirit because we're being invited back into family right this is being restored to us so good we also follow his example he was baptized John was baptizing for repentance and he who knew no sin went and got baptized in John's baptism showing us public confession, humbling of ourselves. You are Lord. But it's public, which means you're a part of this baptism too. You stand witness to these public confessions of faith. You stand witness to say, man, I'm rooting for you. I'm partnering with you. I'm going to cheer you on. We're in this race together. I'm going to cheer you on. Right? We're committed to each other. There's a commitment in witnessing this. So you feel free if you guys want to come on further up. Kids, I don't mind if you want to sit on the floor even here if you want to. You're welcome to. Um, or if parents, if you're like, it's easier for me to keep whatever. Um, but come on. You feel free to come up if you want to come and stand around. We're not. Um, we don't stand on ceremony here. There's room. We're going to hear public confession. Four of folks getting baptized today. Five folks getting baptized today. Four from one family, the Coleman family is bringing it home today. So awesome. And Andrew Bowden's getting baptized today. And Ben and Pastor Alyssa are going to take us through the baptisms. Hey guys, so I just want to walk you through what we're going to do. Um, so we're going to have each of the girls come in and uh, one at a time, and then they're going to share their testimony and um, just even like how their week has been and stuff like that. We're just going to take time on that. Um, and then we're going to ask that you guys extend your hands forward. We'll just pray over them as a congregation. And then uh, we'll, go, we'll continue to the profession, and then we'll celebrate. 
Yeah, so give some cheers, give some claps, um, as a family would for, yeah, their daughter. And so, um, yeah, we'll start with Elise Coleman. Hi. <laughs> so, um, I just wrote something down because I tend to forget what I'm going to say when there's a bunch of people listening. <laughs> but um, I decided I wanted to get baptized today because over the past couple years, I've just been trying to get closer to God. But it's hard to, you know, do to actually go for it. But um, I heard my sisters were getting baptized after youth convention. So I was like, oh, maybe that's a good time for me to do it. But I was still nervous. So then um, when I found out that they were going to, um, my mom said Pastor Rachel had like called and asked if I wanted to. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Because <laughs> I knew like that's the right time to do it. I think I'm going to do it. So um, And then we even went to Pastor Rachel's to um, meet with her and talk to her. And then I found out Alyssa was going to be baptizing us. And I was like, okay, this is perfect. This is the right time. And it's awesome. So, um, so yeah, so just like mainly though over the past couple months or this past month, I'd say I um, started to pursue God more, um, read my Bible and do devotions and pray um, like every day, just, you know, daily. So I felt closer to him. And, um, and then I also made it more of an effort to start tithing because we've grown up, like our parents told us to do it, but or you should do it. And um, my, like, I would, I would, you know, start tithing, but I would just like, I wouldn't want to, you know what I mean? I'd do it because I felt like I should, not because I wanted to. But um, so then, the, then again, the past few weeks, I've been like uh, making sure to do it because I want to. I feel like you know it's something I need to do, and I want to. So um, I've been praying about that, and actually like um, you know just praying blessings when I go into work. So I went to work the other day too, and um, I'm a waitress that's, or a server. So um, there was a big party me and two other girls took, and there was a ton of people, like 70 people, just the three of us are taken care of. And it was the most chaotic, hectic thing ever. But I just kept praying throughout it, and I was like, and like the gratuity it comes with like you know, the tips, it wasn't a lot that we were all gonna be sharing. So I was just praying, I was like, just bless us with this, maybe like give them you know, a tip on top, just generosity. And um, they ended up tipping $400 on top that we all got to split, on top of another 200. So. <laughs> All three of us were to split that, and I was like, oh my God, I just knew, like, that was Jesus. So I told the girls, I was like, well, you guys can thank Jesus, because I just prayed for that. So, and they were like, really? So, yeah, that was awesome. So, um, so yeah, I just want to actually, you know, finally get baptized and do it. I want to live Christian life, not just on the outside and do what's right, but I want to do it from the inside. Yeah, and, you know, feel closer to God because I want to, not because I have to. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah. Okay, so let's pass your phone to together on our knees. Yep. Oh. <laughs> and I'm going to just turn you a little bit. We're going to come up as close as we can here. So okay. Just for your head's sake. Right. Anna, Mary, Elise. <laughs> have you made Christ Lord of your life? Yes. Yes. And are you purposed to follow him for all the days of your life? Yes. Then out of your profession, um, Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we'll have Samara come up next. Come on in.
have much of a testimony, like nothing really super big has happened in my life before. Um, I didn't expect to cry. <laughs> um, so um, I feel like he's just, something he's telling me in my life is to pray more because I have some stuff going on in my life and I just, um, <laughs> um, I think he's telling me he's going to be there for me through everything more than anybody else in my life could, family or friends, even though they can help a lot. Um, he has great words and um, the courage and wisdom to help me. So rather, I'm just getting ready in the morning for anything, something I do every day, like you could take a shower, do your makeup, get ready for school. Um, you just pray during that, and I've been praying more than once a day, which all I've been doing is before bed, and I just need to be doing it more because um, I feel closer to him that way. So, so that's for that. That's beautiful. <laughs> Thank that's you. beautiful. So let's do the same thing. made Jesus Christ Lord over your life and are you purposing your life to follow him for the rest of your days yes then by your profession Samara I baptize you in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit much of a testimony because just like Samara, <laughs> I don't have much of a story but I mean um I feel like ever since you mentioned that has passed um I really had this encounter with God and it really inspired me even more to get baptized since we read this paper that was like asking us a bunch of questions if we've been baptized or not and I haven't so then Sabrina was like she you have to get baptized Sunday so um I really was really scared to do it I didn't I don't know how I felt about it, but I have been praying a lot more about it, and I definitely feel like it's the right time now, and I am ready to give my life to the Lord and follow Him. Amen. 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 Great. Lydia Mariah Coleman. <laughs> have you made Jesus Christ Lord of your life? Yes. Yes. And do you purpose to follow Him for the rest of your days? Then out of your profession, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. today because at youth convention I was like praying with Anna and Faith and um, Audrey and I just felt the Lord telling me that <laughs> I should get baptized and he was telling me while I was praying I should pray for somebody and this was like the first time I've ever like prayed for someone so I was really scared so um I felt him like saying, go pray for him. So I just, I was just, I closed my eyes and I listened to him and I opened my eyes and there's like thousands of people there. So I opened my eyes and there was like just a row of nobody there and just like a kid just praying. He was probably like 13, 14 around that age. And 
I went up to him and I heard God saying the word like father and I was like this is really scary because I've never prayed for somebody before I was like all right so I prayed for him and I was praying if like he had any like father issues whatsoever and once I said that he started crying and I was like all right I was praying for the right thing and that was like crazy hearing God because that was like the first time ever and it was a miracle so that is why I want to get baptized today because I just love him and I want to give my life to the Lord. you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is our turn. And you took the heaters out too early. <laughs> First, I want to say, um, let's a round of applause for youth convention, a youth rally. Jeez, oh Pete. I mean, what an opportunity for our kids. It's great. Thank you, leaders. And, uh, and I get the privilege to baptize my son-in-law. What a great guy. I love him. Danielle, what a great family. You guys are awesome. And um, I get the opportunity. And you get the opportunity to be baptized. Awesome. <clears throat> so I actually had the privilege to grow up in a Christian home. My, my parents, they, um, they showed us Jesus right away from the beginning. And at five years old, I remember very clearly uh, asking my mom, what does it mean to be a Christian? I knew we were. And uh, she sat me down and talked me through it. And I accepted Christ at five. And it, I, I understood it. I knew just what it was and what I did. And uh, I've never had a hard time understanding the Bible, believing Jesus is Lord. I've always known that and really believed that. And my heart's been humble in that, in that way and reverent to the Lord. But throughout my years, uh, even growing up in church, always being on worship team and everything, my biggest struggle was pursuing the Lord and pursuing him consistently. And, um, you know, I would pursue him here and there. I knew I should. Uh, but I would just fall back into just normal routine and just, you know, I pray sometimes, read my Bible sometimes, but always go to church and like play my guitar and worship team and all that. And so, you know, I always was a Christian, but never, never really pursuing like I should. And um, especially in my teenage years, you know, really kind of falling more away from him. Um, but uh, as I was, you know, became an adult, uh, it became a little bit more serious and I was like, I need to do this. And, um, you know, and got married and had kids, and, and I started doing it more, but listening to sermons and things like that, but always kind of falling back in routine and having a hard time being consistent with pursuing the Lord. And so about two and a half years ago, and I've spoke here a couple times, just things that God's done in my life, and uh, about two and a half years ago, God got a hold of my life more, just more than ever before. I don't know what he did, but he's, he just kind of like hooked me, and uh, I just started pursuing him a little bit more, but still struggling with it, just like pursuing him a month or two months. 
like really pursuing him and then just kind of falling back in a routine. And I always had like a wall so for some reason. I couldn't get past that. And, um, and you know, we went to Power and Love conference a year ago. And uh, well, it wasn't a year ago. It was last, it was this summer. And uh, this June we went. And so, you know, right away, I'm back pursuing him again, you know. Because <laughs> it was like, all right, Power and Love, let's do it. So I'm uh, pursuing the Lord uh, for about two months consistently. I guess I could do it. Like, you know, God forgives me all my mess. You know, I've had a lot of mess in my life. Um, I just struggle with a lot of things. And uh, so I gave him my life. I'm like, God, we're good. You know, I, you forgive me and I can pursue you. But there was some kind of wall still. And I, I asked the Lord this summer, I said, God, what, what is it that I have to do to get closer to you? What do you want me to do? And he spoke to me and he said something I did not want him to say. And it was a very, very difficult thing. He wanted me to walk through this thing. And uh, I just couldn't do it. And I said, I said, Lord, I'd never do that. There's no way. And I just remember saying that, you know, I kept going back to it. That wasn't him. That was probably me. Let me ask him again. I asked him again. He said it again. And I was like, oh, okay. So uh, I said, God, I'll never be able to do this. But if I ever do, you have to change my heart. You have to do something to help me walk through these things, these issues or things that I, I struggle with. Or uh, there's just a lot in me, you know, that's there. And I, and I uh, about three months, I just stopped pursuing him again because I'm like, oh, I can't disobey him and pursue it. It doesn't work. So I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So uh, for a while, I just wasn't pursuing him again, back into that, you know, I'm listening to sermons, you know, kind of doing that, but like just not pursuing him and almost like too ashamed or something. And so I finally came to a point where uh, my heart's been humbled in a way that even when I wasn't pursuing him, he was still working in me. And uh, I got to a point where I was like, it's time. And I just walked through some stuff with him that was super, super difficult. But when I did it, it was just unbelievable freedom. And uh, just talking through it with, with people, with pastor, uh, with my father-in-law, just working through some stuff. And uh, it was amazing, the, the freedom that I had in that. And just God was showing me different areas where I just had some stuff. And um, I didn't even realize how, how much there was. And it was like, I understand I have tools to work through it. I know how to do it. So I've been spending time with him every single day writing things down. He's just been freeing me. It's been amazing. And I asked the Lord through this time last weekend, I said, God, all right, now what do I have to do to get closer to you? Because I've done this and I'm walking through it. Well, what else do you have? And I just had a picture of me getting baptized. And uh, I had gotten baptized already when I was about 12 years old. And I saw this picture. I was like, I already did that. You know, so my mind immediately was like, oh, I don't want to. And uh, I caught myself and I said, if God asked me to do something, I better do it. And that's the biggest thing I learned in all of this is if God tells me to do something, listen to what he says, and you do what he says because he knows best for you. And no matter how hard it might seem to walk through it, he knows best for you. So do what he says and just be obedient because he is just, he's Lord and he's amazing. He's always good. So, so here we are. I can talk loud. Andrew Richard Bowden, have you chosen to follow, uh, is Jesus Christ Lord of your life? Yes. And you have you purposed to follow him the rest of your life? Yes. Then based on your profession of faith, I get to baptize you. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit.
He's so good. Would you stand? So good. Set a fire down in my soul that I can contain, that I can control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can contain, that I can control. I want more of you, God. I want more. There's no place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be than here in your love, here in your love, oh. No place I'd rather be. No place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be than here in your love. Set a fire down in my soul that I can contain, that I can control. I want more of you, God. I want more. Amen. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Would you encourage somebody? Come and hug these folks. Encourage one another. Love you. God bless.